from the authors of Author Masterminds. This is Mysterious. Mystery surrounds us every day. Join us and listen to true stories of mystery, from human behavior to nature and the physical environment to paranormal experiences. The stories are true, even if we can't explain them. Some of the facts in this true story have been established, but some things are still unknown. Hello, welcome to Mysterious. I'm Valerie Winans, your host for this episode of Mysterious. Where is baby Shannon? On July 3, 1997, Rachel Timmerman left home with her daughter, Shannon Verhage, never to return. On July 5, 1997, a man fishing on Oxford Lake saw something in the water. He was curious, but when he got close enough to determine what it was, it sickened him. He got off the lake in a hurry and notified authorities. The body he found belonged to Rachel Timmerman. But where was baby Shannon? Rachel Timmerman was a single mom, but that wasn't her only difficulty. She was arrested for possession of marijuana and felt fortunate when she received probation instead of five months in jail. After leaving jail, she lived with her sister, but was anxious to get a little place of her own, a place she could share with her baby, Shannon. She was devoted to caring for Shannon. She loved to play with her and care for her. Shannon Verhage was the spitting image of her mother. She had blonde hair and blue eyes like her mother and was an adorable baby. They had the same smile that lit up their face and put a twinkle in their eyes. Although Rachel was a devoted mother, she was also a 19-year-old young woman with lots of energy and not many resources for entertainment. She had a friend, Wayne Davis, who was about 30 years older than Rachel and a veteran. He always wore an old army jacket that was worn and dirty. Her sister Sarah said the jacket could stand up on its own. Rachel didn't care about his jacket. He was a friend, and she liked to play cards at Wayne's house. Rachel talked her sister into watching Shannon and happily walked the mile to Brian Anderson's trailer where the card game was that night. It was hot outside, and the mosquitoes were relentless. As the group was getting ready to play cards, a man came bursting in the place. Wayne told him they were playing racehorse pinochle. The man introduced himself as Marvin Gabriel. When the card game broke up, Rachel was ready to walk home, but Marvin said he'd give everyone a ride. Rachel at first said no, but when everyone else was going to be in the car, she thought it would be okay. It was still hot and the mosquitoes were still swarming. She began to feel a little uneasy when Marvin drove right by the trailer where she was living. He, she insisted that he let her out, but he ignored her. 
The four of them drove out on a two-track into the woods where Marvin made the two men get out. He drove Rachel into the wilderness and then repeatedly raped her. He told her if she ever told anyone, he would kill her. She got away and made it back to her sister's trailer. Her sister and brother were shocked by her appearance and wanted her to call the police. But she was afraid to call the police because Marvin Gabriel had threatened to kill her if she told anyone. She finally relented and her caseworker took her to the hospital and they filed a police report. Rachel was terrified because Marvin Gabriel said he would kill all of them and she believed he would do it. The sheriff's department put out a warrant for the arrest of Marvin Gabriel. But as fate would have it, Rachel was arrested and put back in jail before the police even located Marvin. Someone had sent a tip to her probation officer that she had a wild party at her house with drinking. The officer arrived at the house and found two empty bottles in the trash. The prosecutor moved to revoke probation and Rachel went back to jail for the remainder of her five-month sentence. Shannon's paternal grandparents agreed to take care of her while Rachel was in jail. Rachel was despondent sitting in jail, but after two weeks, she decided to do something for herself and enrolled in GED classes. She also worked on her relationship with God and vowed to lead a better life, not only for herself, but for her daughter. A highlight of Rachel's week was when Shannon's grandparents brought her to the jail to see Rachel. When Rachel was released from jail, her stepmother, Lynn, picked her up and took her back to the farmhouse they were renovating. Rachel would stay with Lynn and Tim, her dad, for the time being. Her dad helped her to learn to drive as she would need that skill in order to get a job. Everyone was getting along exceedingly well. Things were finally moving in the right direction. On June 3rd, 1997, Tim Timmerman was sitting outside when Rachel came out to the patio. She was wearing new blue jeans, her long blonde hair pulled back into a ponytail. Rachel told him she'd been invited out to dinner with a man named Ian, and he asked her to bring Shannon along. She said she'd be back in a few hours, and Rachel said, Bye, Dad. I love you. He said, Bye. I love you too, honey. This podcast is sponsored by Author Masterminds and Readers and Writers Book Club. I invite you to join Readers and Writers Book Club, where you have many reading options. You can read short stories or serialized books. You can buy books at a 50% discount and have a conversation with the author. Please check the show notes for links to my website, as well as the Readers and Writers Book Club and Author Masterminds. The very next day, June 4th, 1997, the Timmermans received a pre-stamped Space Station hologram envelope with a letter from Rachel in it. The letter was postmarked from Cedar Springs, Michigan. It said she was sorry for leaving without saying goodbye. She said she was going to elope with the guy who took her out for dinner and she would write more later. 
The letter made no sense to Tim. Rachel had said goodbye. There was something not right about the letter, but it did appear to be Rachel's handwriting. On Sunday, June 16th, the Nuego County prosecutor arrived at the Timmerman's house looking for Rachel. He had received a letter from Rachel as well. His letter said they should drop the charges on Marvin Gabrion because he had not raped her. Marvin Gabrion was an innocent man. Rachel's parents were shocked. Did Rachel really write that? The next day revealed another letter in an envelope with a pre-stamped space station hologram. Another letter in Rachel's handwriting stating that she was happy and living in Little Rock, Arkansas with Delbert. None of this made any sense. On July 5th, George Vandeveld thought he saw something in Oxford Lake from his vacation home window. He saw a fisherman hurry off the lake and was curious, so he got his binoculars for a closer look and then called 911. The police found a body of a white woman, 5 feet 10 inches, with shoulder-length, blondish-brown hair floating in the lake. Her killer handcuffed her hands behind her back. Her body was wrapped in chains and attached to cement blocks. Duct tape was wrapped around her eyes and mouth. The Michigan State Police contacted Tim Timmerman with the devastating news that they were 99% sure that they had found Rachel's body. The very first question he had was, where is Shannon? Rachel's brother had no doubt who had killed her. It was Marvin Gabrion who killed her. Marvin Gabrion threatened to kill her. She was scheduled to testify against him in the rape trial. He was positive it was Marvin who had killed his sister. And where was Shannon? After Rachel's funeral on July 17th, Tim sat reading through some of Rachel's diary entries and letters. He was surprised surprised to find one from Marvin Gabrion's mother. She told Rachel to write a letter to the county prosecutor and tell her that she was mad at Marvin and wanted to hurt him. That's why she filed charges against him. She wrote, tell them the rape never happened. Tim also found an earlier letter Marvin's mother wrote to Rachel when she was in jail. Marvin's mother wanted to know about Shannon, about her schedule, how much she was eating and sleeping. Why would Marvin's mother want to know the details of Shannon's schedule? The Michigan State Police investigated the murder of Rachel and the disappearance of Shannon. The name Ian Decker came up more than once. It was reported that Rachel had been seen with him. Was this the Ian who picked Rachel up for dinner on June 3rd? The police were looking for Ian to bring him in for questioning, but they couldn't find him. The police also wanted to talk to Rachel's friend, Wayne Davis. He was scheduled to be a witness in the rape trial, but Wayne Davis was nowhere to be found. 
The story of Rachel's murder and the alleged kidnapping of baby Shannon was in newspapers around the country. The Timmermans believed that Shannon had possibly been sold and was alive somewhere. They wanted her back. They wanted as many people as possible to see pictures of her in order to aid in the finding and return of baby Shannon to her family. A television show called Unsolved Mysteries did a segment on the crime, and the Timmermans were hopeful it would produce some leads in the case. The Grand Rapids Press reported on October 4th that the murder suspect continues to elude the nationwide manhunt. Where was Marvin Gabriel? Robert Allen, another acquaintance of Marvin Gabriel, had been missing since January of 1996. But his social security checks continued to be cashed. An account in his name was opened in Jamestown, New York, and his checks were mailed to a post office box in nearby Sherman, New York. The FBI did a stakeout at the post office on October 14, 1997, and the person they arrested was Marvin Gabriel. He was convicted in March of 1998 for social security fraud and received a five-year sentence. No one knew what had happened to Robert Allen. The investigation into Rachel's murder and Shannon's disappearance continued. And Marvin Gabriel was the prime suspect in the murder of Rachel and abduction of Shannon. The evidence of his guilt was emerging, but he had not yet been charged when something strange happened. Tim Timmerman received a letter from him. It was bizarre. He talked about starting a nonprofit called No More Missing Children and wanted to use Shannon as their poster child. The audacity was overwhelming. Tim took the letter immediately to the police. Prosecutors were discerning how best to prosecute the case and exactly what the charges should be. It came to light that where Rachel's body entered Oxford Lake was on federal property in a national park, Manistee National Forest. The case could be charged and tried in federal court. The benefit would be that the death penalty would be available under federal prosecution as, a, as opposed to no death penalty available in the state of Michigan. Tim got another letter from Marvin. Again, he requested Tim's help with his missing children nonprofit and requested a picture of Shannon. Tim, on the advice of police, had answered the first letter, encouraging Marvin to tell where Shannon was. Tim made it clear that although the death penalty could be considered, he would ask for leniency if Marvin would tell Shannon's whereabouts. The twisted letters continued. Marvin Gabriel was charged federally and the United States of America plaintiff versus Marvin Gabriel defendant trial began. 
The trial dragged on with muddled testimony from Marvin. There was no direct evidence, no DNA, no fingerprints, no eyewitnesses, but there was considerable circumstantial evidence. The prosecutor, Mr. Verhey, encapsulated the evidence in his statement to the jury at the end of the trial. Marvin Gabrion murdered Rachel Timmerman. He handcuffed her, bound her with chains, locks, and cinder blocks, but he still wasn't finished with her. He covered her eyes and mouth with duct tape, put her in a boat, rowed the boat out into the lake, and put her in the murky waters of Oxford Lake, and she drowned. Mr. Gabrion murdered this young mother because he did not want to face a rape charge. The prosecutor recounted the testimony of people who saw Marvin with Rachel down by the lake. He reminded them of the conversations Rachel had telling people how Marvin had threatened her about the blocks used to weight down Rachel's body matching those found at Marvin's residence. The keys found at his residence opened the padlocks holding the chains together on Rachel's body. The circumstantial evidence was overwhelming. By the time Marvin got Rachel into the boat, she was tortured, knowing she was going to die. When she was rolled from the boat into the water, she instinctively held her breath as long as she possibly could. Did she pray to God before breathing in the dirty water? The verdict was guilty. The penalty was death. But where is baby Shannon? Shannon Verhage is still missing, along with people who had evidence to offer concerning the rape of Rachel Timmerman or her murder. Robert Allen and Ian Decker are still missing. The body of Wayne Davis was later found in a nearby lake, but Marvin's never been charged for his murder. Rachel was specifically asked to bring Shannon to dinner. Did Marvin want to kill them both or did he plan to sell Shannon for profit? Marvin's mother had an unusual interest in Shannon when Rachel was in jail. At one time, Marvin had said Shannon would be worth $10,000. He once told another inmate, however, that he threw her in the lake as well, but no other body was found in Oxford Lake. In Marvin's twisted mind, he maintained some control by keeping his secret concerning what happened to Shannon Verhage. Where is Shannon? Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoyed this episode of Mysterious. Be sure to check the show notes for references used for this broadcast. You will also find links to my website, Author Masterminds, and Readers and Writers Book Club.